This morning as you're seated, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles out. And this morning we're really going to just kind of finish up what I started last week, preaching a sermon in Luke chapter 12. But this morning I'm going to be in John chapter 13 to finish up that sermon. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 13. John 13. And before we look to God's Word, I just want to take a moment to pray before we do that. And this morning I just want to pray for something very specific About four years ago now, four years ago in January, we brought a young man here to come on our staff named Chris Parker. And Chris came as our college pastor, but we knew we didn't want Chris Parker to stay here as our college pastor because God called our church to be a church that plants other churches. And so we specifically brought Chris here to be a college pastor for a couple of years and to build relationships in our church. And then we were going to send him out. And at that point, we had no idea where we were going to send him. God just called us to plant churches in North America. And we didn't know where in North America. So we started with about 32 cities that we started looking at all over North America, trying to narrow it down to where God wanted us to plant churches. And so we finally narrowed it down to a city out west, Phoenix, Arizona. And the reason I believe God called us to Phoenix is because Phoenix is the fastest growing area in the country right now. It is growing faster than any other metropolitan area. And in fact, last year, Phoenix became the fifth largest city in the United States. So it is a big place with a lot of people. But the problem in Phoenix is over 90% of the residents of Phoenix, Arizona, don't know Jesus Christ. And so there are not as many churches in Phoenix as there are here. In fact, there are just a fraction of the churches in Phoenix that there are here. So the opportunity for people to hear the name Jesus is much smaller than it is here where you can go to a church on almost every corner. So we finally prayed and decided God was calling us to plant churches in Phoenix, Arizona. And then we tried to narrow down in Phoenix where God wanted us. So we found a suburb just outside of Phoenix named Buckeye, Arizona. And Buckeye is literally the fastest growing city in the United States. It is growing at a rate where right now Buckeye, Arizona is about 70,000 people. But in the next 10 years, it will grow to over 150 to 160,000 people. So right now, 70,000 people and there are only two evangelical, evangelical churches in Buckeye, Arizona. So that is where God led us. And this morning, our church, Freedom Church in Buckeye, Arizona, is going to hold their first church service in about three minutes. They're going to have their first church service. So Chris moved out, and we've had families out of here move out with him. The Easters, Josh and Lauren, moved out with their kids. Lindsay Thomas moved out. Kat's going to move out just in a few weeks. And so they moved there with the intent of giving their life to Phoenix so that people could hear the name Jesus and people could be saved. And so just because God is faithful, I want you to see His faithfulness before we pray. Yesterday, the church did just a cookout in the Walmart parking lot. Walmart let them do that there just so that they could hand out hot dogs and invite people to the church service this morning. And there's a man that came to that to get a hot dog, and there you see him on the left standing next to Chris. His name's Willie. But yesterday, when Willie came to get a hot dog, Chris told him about Jesus, and Willie gave his life to Jesus Christ yesterday in a parking lot. Amen. So that's just the faithfulness of God. Even before we've ever had a church service, God is working and God is moving. So this morning, in about a minute, Willie will worship Jesus Christ at Freedom Church for the first time as a child of God. And so we want to pray for Freedom Church. And we want to pray God's blessing on them and God's spirit to be among them. 
where they meet won't look like this. It's not going to sound like this. It's not going to be a church like our church. This morning and for the time being, they're going to be meeting in an elementary school, Jasinski Elementary School. But guess what? Just like God is here, God's going to be there because that's his promise. And so this morning, we're just going to stop and pray. And so I'm just going to ask if God leads you, I'm going to ask that you come to this altar and pray. And so you come now if God's leading you to do that. This altar is the lowest place in the room. And all you're doing when you come to an altar is just humbling yourself before God and saying, God, what you say is more important than what I say or think. So we're just going to humble ourselves before God this morning and pray. So if you didn't come to this altar, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head in humility before God. And just right now, in the quietness of this moment, would you pray for Freedom Church? Would you pray that God would do something there that we cannot even fathom, much less ask for? Would you pray for God's Spirit to fall upon that place this morning? To anoint Chris Parker as he preaches the Word. To anoint the worship as they worship, just like we have just done. Would you just pray for that church? So pray, church. Pray. Lord, this morning we just come to you in need of you. It's hard to believe that what we dreamed about four years ago is a reality today. And that out of this place in Northport, Alabama, you are planning a church thousands of miles away in a city of millions of people who need Jesus. Lord, thank you for your call and thank you for the faithfulness of this church and your people to fulfill and be a part of that call. And so today we pray for Freedom Church. We pray for that place, Jasinski Elementary School, that it would truly be holy ground this morning because you are there. Lord, just like we need you, they need you. So Holy Spirit, go and move and just be a God of miracles. Lord, thank you for the miracle that we saw yesterday where you took a dead man and you raised him to life. Lord, thank you for Willie. Lord, I pray for thousands of Willies over the next few years that come through Freedom Church. And Lord, though we may never know them on this earth, one day we will stand with them in heaven around the throne of God praising your name. So, Lord, be exalted. In that place and in this place. Because you alone are worthy. So we give you praise. And we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. So move in power. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, even over the next few minutes... Keep praying for Freedom Church. It is amazing to see God move.
I'm just so thankful for all that he's going to do. But I want you to understand, this is just the start. When God called us to plant Freedom Church, he called us to plant five churches in the next ten years there throughout Phoenix, Arizona. So today we already have two. We picked up another church, Relentless Church, that's already meeting and already doing great and seeing lives changed every week. So over the next eight years, we'll plant three more churches. And one in there, we'll plant more churches. And guess what? They will plant churches as well. And we will multiply, just as the Bible teaches us to do, for the kingdom of God and for the glory of the name Jesus. So keep praying and keep being faithful. And God will move. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at John 13, I just want you to see the heart of Jesus. This week, at my house anyway... My family, my girls, really, have been getting ready for Christmas. And really, for the last month, ever since Halloween was over, they've been listening to Christmas music. Now, I tell them that I believe that's a sin. I don't believe you should listen to Christmas music till after Thanksgiving. So it is sinful to do that. But guess what? They don't care. They just keep on listening. They call me Grinch and move on. But Friday, they tricked me. They said, you know, Dad, Thanksgiving's a lot later than it normally is this year, so we've got to put our Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving. Now, I don't know why I listen to them, but I listen to them. And we went and got a Christmas tree. And then I got to thinking about it. It's really not that much later. It's just like two days later than normal. So why are we getting a Christmas tree a whole week before Thanksgiving? But we did that anyway. So we got our house decorated and ready. And, of course, they were listening to Christmas music the whole time. They were putting up that stinking tree, listening, listening, listening. Now, don't tell my kids, but this week I listened to a Christmas song. Now, don't tell them because I want to keep my persona up. And I know you're thinking, well, aren't they in the room? Yeah, they're in the room, but they don't listen to my sermon, so it won't matter. So if you don't tell them, they won't know. So don't tell them that I listened to a Christmas song this week. But I listened to a Christmas song this week. It's my favorite Christmas song anyway. You probably don't even know it, don't listen to it. But the title of the song that I like is How Many Kings. How Many Kings. And I know it's not a very common or even popular song. But listen to the words of how many kings. Because this is the chorus. It says, how many kings stepped down from their throne? How many lords have abandoned their home? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is all torn apart? How many fathers... Gave up their son for me. Only one. Did that for me. I love that song because that's Christmas. That's what Jesus Christ did. He stood up off a throne in heaven. And he humbled himself to become the least of these. Wrapping on flesh and becoming a baby born in a manger. That's the God we love. That's the God we serve. And so this morning, I just want you to see that heart of God. And last week, as we looked at Luke chapter 12. We saw Jesus talk about the most dangerous sin in our life. And the reason it's the most dangerous sin in our life, it's because all sin flows out of this one sin. 
And as we looked at Luke chapter 12, we saw a confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees one night at dinner. And he called them out for their hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy flew out of this one sin. And that sin is pride. And it's pride that we all have. We are a prideful people. We have prideful hearts. And that's why we rebelled against God in the first place. We thought we knew better than God. We thought we could do it better than God. So we chose our way rather than God's way. That is sin. All sin flows out of that one sin called pride. And so we saw the danger of pride in our heart. And what it leads to and where it leads. And where it leads is in opposition to God. So this morning I want you to see the opposite of pride. I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to see humility. So to see humility, I want you to see this story in John chapter 13. Because in just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table and take the Lord's Supper together as we remember the cross. Because there's nothing in this life anyway that I'm more thankful for than the cross. But I want you to see a story that's only recorded in John. Nowhere else in the Bible do we find this. But in this story, you see who Jesus is. And you also seek who we're called to be. So I just want to read it first. So look there in verse 1, John 13. This is what the Bible says. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. But Jesus replied. Unless I wash you, you will not belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over but does not need to wash except for their feet, to be entirely clean, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you have the right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you for doing them. 
Now understand when we read John 13, it sounds odd to us what Jesus Christ did is he knelt down before the disciples and washed their feet before dinner. Now what seems odd to us 2,000 years later was not odd to Jesus and those disciples reclining around that table that night who were getting ready for supper, the last supper. And here's why. It was just a common custom before you eat dinner to wash your feet. Now think about it like this. Before you eat dinner today, what do you do? Hopefully this is what you do. You wash your hands, right? Yeah, right? I hope you wash your hands. I hope at least the ones preparing the meal wash their hands before you eat dinner. But we wash our hands, right? We clean our hands because our hands are grimy, they're slimy, they're germ-filled, so we don't want to put food to our mouth as we eat. That's why we wash our hands. Well, in Jesus' day, almost 2,000 years ago, it was very similar because they would wash their feet for almost the very same reason. And I know you're thinking, well, did they eat with their feet? No, they didn't eat with their feet, but this is what they did. When they would come into a room to eat dinner, they didn't have a big dinner table with chairs all around it like we have today when we sit down for Thanksgiving meal. What they had is they had a low table. It would be about the height of the coffee table in your living room. And what they would do is there would be pillows all around that table. And when they would come in and recline, as the Bible says, around that table, the way they would recline is they would put their left arm on one of the pillows and they would almost lay down and they would always use their right hand to eat off the table. Now, guess what was up by the table if they're laying down reclining at the table? Their feet. So right next to you, as you're eating your meal, guess what is right in your face? Someone's foot. Now, I got news for you. If you don't realize this, your feet are ugly. All feet are ugly. And they stink and they smell bad. And that's not a pleasant thought as you're taking your evening meal. But that's what they did in Jesus' day. So, in turn, before they would eat the meal, guess what they would wash? Not their hands, but their feet. Because they lived in a day where they didn't have shoes like we have. They wore sandals everywhere they went. And they didn't walk on asphalt roads. They walked on gravel and dirt. And their feet were grimy and they were smelly and they were ugly and they were dirty. And so before they would eat, they would wash. So whenever you would come into someone's home, there would be a basin filled with water for you to wash your feet before you reclined at the table. Now, if you went into someone's house who had money, guess what? They had someone wash their feet, your feet for you. They had servants, slaves. And whoever was the lowest servant in the house was always the servant that would wash feet, the low man on the totem pole. But if you didn't go to someone's house that had money, you would wash your own feet. Now, the master of the house or the owner of the home would never wash your feet. They would not stoop to that level. So you would come in, you would wash your own feet, you would recline around the table, and then you would eat dinner. So why in the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, why would He kneel down and wash the disciples' feet? Now we know one reason, because John 13 tells us. He wanted to show them the full extent of His love. He wanted them to know how much He loved them. So that is one of the reasons. But I think there was another reason. I believe for the disciples, Jesus Christ wanted to reveal the pride that was in their heart. And the disciples were prideful people. Just like you and I are. We know that. Because the Bible tells us. That night, as Jesus was in that room teaching and ministering to those disciples... Someone else was in that room working and ministering. And guess who it was? Verse 2 tells us, Simon Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, was tempted by who? Satan. Satan was working. And the Bible says there in verse 2 that he put into the heart 
Now, what did he put into the heart? We don't know. But here's what I know about Satan. When he tempts us, he always tempts us according to our pride. So it's probably something like this. Not only was Satan tempting Judas because he thought Judas was the most susceptible and he probably would betray Jesus, but Satan didn't know. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. So he didn't know if Judas would come through or not. So he's probably putting it into the heart of the other disciples to try to betray Jesus as well, just in case he needed a backup plan. So he probably leans over to Peter and he whispers, Hey, Peter, you're the biggest dog in this room. Maybe he whispers John, Hey, John, you're the most beloved disciple. Maybe he leans over to James and says, James, you are the greatest preacher that's ever lived, even better than Jesus. One day you'll be more than him. And we don't know what he's telling them, but he is tempting them and he is saying things to them. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. Because at the very table that they're eating at, the very meal that they're taking, the disciples begin to argue amongst one another. And guess what they're arguing about? Look at what Luke 22 says. Verse 24 says this. Then they, talking about the disciples, began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Now, they're not arguing about Jesus being the greatest among them. They're talking about themselves, the disciples. Who's the greatest in this room? Now, this is after supper. This is after they've taken the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, if you eat my body, it is broken for you. Drink the cup because this is my blood that will be poured out for you. And right after all that, this is what they begin to do. They begin to argue among themselves who's the greatest. Pride. So what does Jesus say? Verse 25. And Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should be of the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You see, servanthood or humility is the heart of God. How do we know? Because Jesus Christ is the invisible image of the visible God. So when we see Jesus Christ, we see God. And so when we see Jesus serving in humility, we know that's who God is. And the problem, that is the opposite of who we are. James 4, 6 says it like this. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that word for opposes means that God is at war with you. You are in battle with God. That's why the book of Romans says we are enemies with God. It's because of our pride that God opposes us or is at war with us. But when we humble ourselves, that's when He pours out grace upon us. Because that is who He is. And that is what Jesus Christ is calling the disciples to be. Humble servants. So that is why He stands up from the table And he takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist and he takes a basin and fills it with water and then goes to every disciple in the room and unties their sandal and puts their feet in that basin and washes their feet. Because he wants them to serve as he serves. But he's also teaching them something more important. Because when Jesus takes their feet, The slime and the dirt and the filth of their feet is just simply revealing the slime and the dirt and the sin of their heart. 
And so when Jesus washes that away, it is just a symbol of what he will do on the cross the very next day as his blood is poured out. And as he tells Peter there, Peter, if you will just humble yourself before me, you will belong to me. There is only one way to be right with God. And that is to humble yourself before God and be free of your arrogance and your pride and realize there is nothing you can do to save yourself. You can only trust in what the Word of God says by trusting in Jesus Christ who died on that cross to forgive you of your sins so that you can be right with God forever. And if you will humble yourself and believe, the Bible says you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal separation of God forever and ever and ever. That's why God sent Jesus. And that's why Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the cross and God's command. So that if we would humble ourselves, we could be made right. And this morning when we come to this table, that's what we remember and that's what we celebrate. The problem for many of us in this room, is even though we have humbled ourselves and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, just like the disciples, when Satan whispers in our ear and he tells us how great we are, what do we respond with? Satan, you're right. And pride and arrogance and haughtiness wells up in our heart. And God opposes it. So this morning, he's calling us back to humility. Now, as we come to the table this morning, the Bible gives us very instruct, important instructions of how we're to come. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that no one should come to this table in an unworthy manner. Now, what does that mean? Well, first, it means that none of us are worthy. The only way any of us can come to this table is through Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you don't know Christ Jesus, if you have never called Him Lord, if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, this is all I'm going to ask of you this morning. In just a moment, when these elements are passed, you just let the plates pass by you and don't take the elements. Don't take the juice or the bread. Just let them pass. No one will think any less of you. Just let them go. And here's why. Because the Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 11, if you come to the table in an unworthy manner, then you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. We do not want God's judgment upon you. So just let the elements pass. And this was serious. In the crime of Corinth, when Paul wrote this letter, there were people in the church that were dying because they come to this table in a flippant, unworthy way. So just let them pass. But even this morning, if you are a child of God and you know Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven of your sins, you can come to this table in an unworthy manner because you can come with pride, with unconfessed sin in your heart. So this morning, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I just want to give you a time to get right with God. So here's all I'm going to ask. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm just going to ask you to pray. And here's the prayer. Just say, God, would you please reveal sin in my heart? And if you pray that prayer and mean that prayer, 
God is faithful and He will reveal unconfessed sin in your heart. Just sin that you've never asked God to forgive you of. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. I don't know what it is. But as God reveals it and He will, just say, Lord, forgive me. And if you ask for forgiveness, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that God is faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So take a moment to do that. Lord, we thank you a way to remember. Help us never to forget the cross. We love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a word of instruction as our deacons come. In just a moment, as they pass the plates, you're going to notice two cups in the plate. One is stacked upon the other. One holds the fruit of the vine, one the bread. So we just ask, as the plates are passed, you grab both cups. Deacons.